Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. The last few episodes were really delving into what is dysgraphia, what are the types of dysgraphia, what are the signs and symptoms of the motor dysgraphia, so that messy handwriting, and what are the signs and symptoms for that linguistic dysgraphia, which is that expressive language and that actual component of organizing thoughts and putting that on paper. So this episode, we're going to delve into five accommodations and giving directions for students with dysgraphia. Now, there are several types of accommodations. I am making this a blanket statement episode in regards to giving directions, and this is geared more towards that communication piece for our dysgraphic students to really know how to thrive and be successful. So I hope you find this episode just as impactful as the other ones. Now, to those of you who are new, thank you so much for finding this podcast. You found this podcast because there's something that really resonated with you that you're realizing, I really don't understand what's going on with my child or with my student or students, and I need to delve and dig a little bit deeper. And I commend you for that because there are so many resources out there that can be overwhelming, that can be confusing, that may be too scientific, that may be too research-based. And I try to make this podcast very user-friendly in a sense of this information isn't as accessible and out there for parents to really know what they're looking for or to really know what questions to ask. So if you are new to the podcast, welcome. There are many episodes here for you to delve into. There are many moms and stories that have been shared, those vulnerable moments where you can really truly get that validation, whether you are brand new on this journey and your child just got a diagnosis or you've been in this journey for several years. It's still so helpful to have that community to hear other people going through what you went through. So today's episode, as I said, will be focused on five accommodations in giving directions for students with dysgraphia. Now, this was an Instagram post I did quite a bit ago. Sometimes turn my Instagram posts into podcast episodes. So the first accommodation is to help them out. Now, I know that sounds very basic. And if you don't really know how to help them out, I can understand you banging your head against a wall saying, I don't even know what that means. I'm going to give you some examples of what that could mean. So helping a dysgraphic student out means providing paper assignments with the name, the date, the title, et cetera, already filled in. Okay, so let's take a step back here. Now, these accommodations can be used in all content areas. This is not just English language arts. This is not just writing class, all content areas. And so this is a real life example I've seen when I was co-teaching middle school. So I discussed this in an earlier episode that requiring our secondary students to be able to listen process the information, take notes, somehow have notes that look stellar and they can use them as a study guide to succeed is a really tall order. And so if we are expecting kids to osmosisly know how to take notes or osmosisly know how to understand what they're supposed to do to create a study guide, we're already setting them up for failure. So we have to, again, I always ask this question, what's the objective? Is the objective for them to learn how to take notes or is the objective for them to understand what you're trying to teach them during that period. And if that's the case, give them notes. Give them notes. Maybe you give them closed notes. 
Maybe you give them a sheet with five questions and whatever it is you're talking about, you are engaging them in. They can listen to you, but then when you know you're getting to that first question, you can say on your sheet, question one, and read that question and say, and the blank is, and then you can discuss it as a class and then you pause appropriately and let them fill it in. So help them out, provide them whatever assignment with whatever name or date or title or information obviously make it age appropriate. But when we just give kids a blank canvas of open up your spiral notebook and put the date and take notes, that can be extremely overwhelming. And more than often, our language-based learning different students have no idea what they're supposed to do because they're sitting there taking in all this information auditorily, which some of them do learn that way. But then you're asking them a more higher level skill to then synthesize what you're saying and putting it into their own words and then write it down and then recall that information to get it down to then still listen to the next talking point. That's exhausting. So I can't stress enough. You've got to help out our language-based learning difference to children. And not even just that, that's just good teaching. You should always be chunking and scaffolding information so students feel like, okay, I'm included. Here's a little bit of support. And for those students who maybe don't need that, then they can take their own notes with their blank canvas of a spiral notebook. All right, accommodation number two is to plan ahead, okay? Plan ahead. What does that mean? Provide all required steps or information needed to start the assignment early because here's the bottom line, extended time does matter. I would always hate when a teacher would say, okay, yeah, I told them we have a quiz on Friday and it's Wednesday, right? And Friday rolls around and the student, of course, forgot that there was a quiz on Friday and the teacher was irritated because they told them 48 hours prior, but it wasn't stored in their long-term memory. So they get to the class, they take the quiz, they're confused, they're looking around at their peers, their peers are still working. So they're like, maybe I should still keep working or maybe their peers are turning in the assignment. So they're like, oh, I'm going to turn in the assignment. And this usually goes one of two ways. So option one, I've seen students look around and they're like, oh, okay, all right, my peers are still working, let me still work. And then class ends and then they try to turn in their assignment and then the teacher says, you get extended time. And the student says, oh, it's okay, I don't want it. And then the teacher says, but you get extended time. And depending on (laughs) the student's personality, and I'm talking more so middle schoolers because everything's about what the peers think, they'll say, I'm not gonna take it. And then depending on how much the teacher pushes, they're like, okay, whatever, I offered it, they didn't take it. Or let's say they take the extended time and then all of a sudden they're taking another period long to do it and they turn in their assignment and only one question's done. And then the teacher's frustrated and they're like, I gave you extended time, like why is this not finished? Hey, it's your favorite podcast host, Dr. Lauren. Have I told you how much I appreciate you as a listener? Well, if I haven't, I want to tell you just how much I do today. You're the reason I come back every week with top-notch content with guests to help you navigate this DQ journey. But I got to tell you, organizing and getting these episodes up and running doesn't come cheap. I have a fantastic podcast team that takes care of me and you to ensure that episodes are high quality and show notes are detailed and riddled with goodies for you to use and apply for your next steps in this journey. But can I ask you a favor? We'd love to have your support to keep the podcast up and running. You can donate as little or as much as you'd like to support the podcast. 
All you need to do is go to the link in the show notes or visit our website at thinkdyslexia.me and click support the podcast and it will take you exactly where you need to be. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and of course, share this podcast with others who are on the same journey as you. Well, obviously, that's a whole other issue, but you did not plan ahead. You didn't chunk the information. You didn't give milestone assignments. Things need to be accessible and it has to be small wins. So if we have a huge semester-long project, you're going to break that down by weekly or monthly of things that kids need to turn in. And so if you're saying, oh, we have a test on Friday and it's Wednesday, well, you need to plan ahead to let that student know. And then the other component, as I, I actually kind of wove into both of those with that example, but I've seen it where it's like a standardized test. Actually, there was a student on my caseload many years ago who typically on an IEP, you will see 50% extended time. So obviously if the class period is 50 minutes, they didn't finish, give them another class period. But this particular student needed 150 minutes of extended time, which if you are educators out there, you know that that is an extreme amount of time. And what was frustrating about this particular student was you gave them that time and they still weren't done. (laughs) So obviously you have to look at what the bigger picture is telling you. Maybe that particular student really needed more check-ins. Maybe they needed more understanding of what they're supposed to do. Maybe they needed more boundaries around don't take more than 10 minutes per question, whatever it is. Obviously, that's more of an extreme case. But planning ahead is critical, I think, for everybody. It really calms down people's anxiety. Think about you as an adult. We feel more in control if we're paying our bills monthly. If all of a sudden our mortgage, you know, the banks slapped us with a year-long bill for our mortgage, we would feel extremely overwhelmed. We'd be like, whoa, I can't pay all this. Like, this is a lot of money. And then that turns into negative self-talk. It turns into not a good look, not a good look for anybody. So obviously we as adults, we have bills to pay, but they're monthly. So they're chunked in a way where it's bite-sized pieces. So we have to provide that accommodation for our students, even if some teachers might think it was just a quiz. Like, what do you mean? Maybe that's a testament to you're not planning enough because when you have students with this particular profile, you have to plan. So if you know you're in, I don't know, April and you know that your school district does standardized testing, but you want to get in two major assessments that month, well, let those students know. Around this time, we might be having our first assessment. So then they can back into studying and they can back into planning and all of that. I just went on a long tangent about planning ahead. As you guys can tell, I plan ahead. As a matter of fact, I am recording these dysgraphia series in February. And if you're an avid listener, they're not dropping till April. (laughs) So I definitely plan ahead. It's just a part of my own accommodation. All right, explain the guidelines. So provide a rubric and explain how and what will be graded and be explicit. It's the worst when students are playing the guessing game because they don't really know Or sometimes I've seen rubrics are still very vague. It's like a four had several concepts of high level content. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Like give specifics, had a strong thesis statement and 
used four details to support their thesis and had a strong closing sentence. Like that is more concrete for a student to say, oh, I have a strong thesis, but only two details. So that's going to get me a three instead of a four. So provide that rubric, but then I'm going to take that a step further. Don't just give the kids the rubric, go through the rubric with them. And then I'm going to take that another step further, have them recall what was discussed. And then if you're a teacher, a student-centered teacher, take it a step further and get their feedback. Maybe this is your draft rubric, but you want their feedback as a class to see how this reflects their learning of what you're teaching them. Because sometimes we as educators have this standard of like, well, this is what I taught. I don't understand why they're not getting it. And I personally feel it's the worst when teachers get in that rut of I've been doing this for 20, 30 years and I don't know what the problem is. It's clearly the kids. Well, if more than half of your kids are failing the assessment, it's not the kids, it's you, it's your teaching. So you have to look back at, let me plan a quality rubric. Let me explain. Let me get feedback from the students. Now, I know not all teachers think that way. There are some still some old school teachers out there that are like, this is my class, my rules, blah, 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 whatever. I'd like to see how successful and emotionally sound those kids are in your classroom. But I digress. So another accommodation is show those exemplars, okay? This was always me. I struggled when a task was too abstract. And I think for me, I need to be able to see an example of an end result, then I can be creative. Then I can say, oh, okay, so it could look like that, but I actually want it to look like this. So when we provide an example of A plus work, and help brainstorm how students can achieve success in the best way that suits them, I think that that gives them the freedom to show you their true understanding of the skill that you're assessing. You know, when I taught fourth grade, I would have, like, if I wanted kids to reflect on whatever concept I was teaching and they had to do a pamphlet, I would actually have a model of what that looked like. And especially for our dysgraphic students that have that my motor issue, well, this was 12 years ago, so I'm sure kids are doing this now on Canva or something online. But if you're doing it by hand, you want to show them maybe how the visuals should look in terms of how big they should be or how much writing you want on it. So having exemplars is always a great example. And obviously don't reinvent the wheel. You don't have to recreate this every unit, every lesson. Maybe you just use student work that received an A plus and you're like, this is a great example of this. All right, and so our last and final accommodation is to offer alternatives. This one is my all-time favorite. So discuss various ways to demonstrate mastery. So this could be orally or using cartoon strips, theater, et cetera, you know, whatever really connects with that learner and focus on their strengths and how they can really demonstrate mastery of that content. One of the biggest issues with public school is that it really is like a template, one size fits all. I struggled in school my entire academic career. I thought I was stupid. I was pretty much a BC student when I really could have been an AB student in most of my classes, but I just learned differently. And so the older I got, when I got to high school, a lot of things were tests. I had the worst test anxiety and I had undiagnosed ADHD. So it didn't matter how much I studied traditionally, I would fail. And I would always feel like a failure because there weren't alternative ways for me to demonstrate mastery. Now, obviously not all teachers I had were like, here's a test. I have fond memories of specific teachers that really applauded my intelligence and said, hey, you can do this because they tapped into a strength of mine. They tapped into my creativity 
and how I could really communicate my level of mastery. And so when we look at our secondary students in high school and some students who, let's just say, I've seen students who aren't diploma bound, that's not typically the language-based learning different students, but how are they demonstrating mastery? Like, what are they doing? We have to have project-based assignments. We have to have things that really tap into, like I said, maybe you want, like I remember my 12th grade English teacher was amazing. I will never forget her. And we did a whole unit. I can't remember what the unit was, but it could have been extremely boring. But instead of it being that, she allowed us to create movies based on our version of Pride and Prejudice, which I still to this day don't even know what that story is about. (laughs) I think it was so boring. But I remember filming and like acting out a scene in the movie and I mean, in the book and it was fun. It was fun. And that's what I remember was my 12th grade English teacher really tapping into how can I make this dry Victorian era text for kids that aren't wanting to be English majors love Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So definitely focus on the strengths and how they can be of mastery. And I recognize for some teachers, it's easier to be like, I'm just going to give a test. Like (laughs) there was one teacher that I worked with in middle school and oh gosh, he cracked me up. He would always have scantrons because it was easy for him. But I mean, if I were in his class, I would have probably failed all those tests and would have hated his content that he taught because it was only one way to show mastery. And when he taught, it was very lecture-based. So are we really meeting the needs of all the learners in that space? No. And I'm not saying that lecture-based can't be fun. I mean, there are some teachers who literally lecture by telling stories and that is great for kids who have that imagination. But if you're just like reading straight from a textbook and then you say test on Friday and then you hand out a scantron, which for me is just like, oh my God, like anxiety filled to the max. And then all of a sudden you just throw them in the scantron machine and you're like, well, you got an 80% out of 100, you know, or you got a 25% out of 100. It's like, how is that really showing mastery aside from what that kid knew that day at that time? And maybe they didn't fill in the scantron well enough. And that's why they lost points. Anyway, so you can tell I got a little passionate about that. So these are five accommodations for giving directions for our dysgraphic students. I hope you have found these series helpful and I can definitely do some more on accommodations because there are tons of these accommodations out there, but I don't want to throw too many at you at once. So be sure to leave some comments if this really resonated with you. I love the feedback. And those of you who have rated the podcast, thank you so much. Also, don't forget to support the podcast, share with others out there. And I look forward to connecting with you all next week.